So Noah's Ark is a very familiar story as we've heard and as we have uh, seen. If you have, for example, a baby in the home and you look for baby murals for over the crib, like on Etsy, what you'll find is Noah's Ark is a very popular theme. Uh, they decidedly choose the pre-flood scene for that, which is good and wise and happy. But it's a story uh, where we see the wrath of God poured out. The real big message of this passage is the wrath of God. I had mentioned um, a week or two ago about some of the other early civilizations and their understanding of a flood. There were, there were narratives and histories of the flood you know, in Egypt, in Babylon, in Sumeria. The ten kings I mentioned a few weeks ago were the Sumerians, uh, just to clarify that. In this passage, as we look at it, it's a very familiar passage to all of us. It was something that was familiar to the original readers. When, when Moses gave this book of Genesis, these, this was given in writing to Israel, who had just fled and become a nation after the bondage and the slavery in Egypt. And how did God bring them there? He brought them there through the waters of the Red Sea. This narrative, this account of what God did then, is used throughout Scripture as a type of how God brings judgment. The Israel that crossed the Red Sea and were in the desert receiving this God's word knew that that was something that God had done to the king or the pharaoh of Egypt. This is something that we will see through the New Testament and through the, through the rest of Scripture that God will do again. The elements of this narrative and the exact things that God did then are given to us so that we will know that there's a parallel of what will come. And we see that over and over again in the Scriptures. And what you see is that there's a world that was judged, a world of sin, people who are either condemned or rescued through that judgment, and then a new creation afterward. The way it begins is the message. The message comes that a flood is coming. God gave this message to Noah. God said to Noah, there's wickedness in this world. But he said to Noah on a couple of occasions, you're different. You're listening to my word. You fear me. You are righteous. Now, does that mean Noah was perfect? No. Noah, it says, walked with God. He was among this family that was calling on the name of the Lord. And as God looked around, he saw Noah, but he didn't see others. A flood is coming. Now, whenever we know that danger is coming, we prepare ourselves. A year and a half ago, um, the uh, COVID shutdown began, and people were isolated. And what did people do in response? Well, they bought all the toilet paper in all the stores. And that's, that's a way to prepare for what we think will get us through a time of difficulty. When I was a child, I used to read these books. My children read similar books now about how to survive natural disasters. How do you survive an avalanche? How do you survive a hurricane, a tornado? How do you survive a flood? And you can read books about this. And as a child, I would read these things and say, okay, I need to get ready. People do this. Um, when a, a hurricane is going to hit the coast, people will evacuate that area wisely. 
when a flood is coming locally, people go to higher ground or they put sandbags around their properties. When a tornado uh, comes into an area, people go to safety in a, a shelter or into a basement. Those are all good things to do. This passage asks us this question, where should you hide from danger? These people of Noah's time were warned that God's wrath was coming and it was for them dangerous. In our time, God is saying the same thing. His judgment is coming on all the earth. Where will you find shelter? Where can you be safe? What happened with this coming message in Noah's time was this. God said he would destroy all of the corruption of the earth. As we have seen uh, through this passage, there was corruption. For example, in verse 11, three times you have this word corruption. It's, that, it's this idea that things are spoiled. Things are so broken they can't be recovered. And God, God says, I'm going to destroy it. The parallel is this for Christians today who hold to Christ and hold to the Scriptures, who, as Zach explained, take God's Word seriously. We are living in a world that ignores those things. We're living in the world in which we live that does not believe, rejects it. Says, no, things, things, you guys are crazy. Things will always be as they have been. That's what they were saying in Noah's time. They were marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, generation to generation, thinking this will always be. This will always be the way that it is. Uh, it was a perverse generation. There was sin. There was wickedness that had increased. The morality of all culture had just deteriorated terribly. Cultures do that. Scripture says that, that things, I believe, will get worse before God brings judgment. And the message of Noah was this. Noah is called a herald of righteousness. Um, Noah was doing things during this time. God said, I want you to build an ark. And he was also proclaiming a message during this time. And what was the message? The message was, there's right and there's wrong. Everyone, you see what I'm doing with building this ark? You need to turn away from sin. I mean, you can only imagine the kind of ridicule, the kind of hostility that Noah received. Living in a world doing what God had told him to do, and the world didn't get it. And he could say, look, I'm, I'm doing these things because God told me that he's going to bring wrath. And he told me in the ark we'll be safe. And people on the outside hearing this and saying, Noah, you know, you're a pretty good builder. Imagine the house you could build. Don't waste your time on that boat. Or saying, Noah, what, why are you doing this? Well, God cares about right and wrong. And just having these conversations and then everyone saying, I don't think so, Noah. I don't think so. Noah was building an ark in obedience to God and he was preaching righteousness. We see this in a couple passages. This is a strong parallel for Christians living in our world. What we have with Noah is a pattern of what it is like to be in this world. There's a book by Thomas Brooks that I read this week called An Ark for all God's Noahs. It's written for Christians. And the funny thing is, I read it, it's a really good book, it's very short. It has nothing to do with this passage. It has nothing to do with this narrative. But I love that phrase that he uses in the title. An ark for all God's Noahs. 
And the idea there is this, that everyone who takes God's word seriously, everyone who is seeking shelter from the wrath that is coming for sin in Christ is a Noah. That's the term he's using. Well, what does Noah do, and how are our lives in parallel with that? First, Noah was living by faith. He was obeying God. Uh, How do you know that Noah was a man who had faith? Well, it came out by the way he lived. He actually obeyed God. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. There's an important thing. This had never happened. Noah couldn't verify it. Noah couldn't test it. It was God's word promising what will be, and Noah acted on God's word. How did he act on it? He obeyed by building a giant boat, a barge, as his children said, for all these animals and for himself and his family. It says, in reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, faith is the, um, the evidence of things, uh, or it's the assurance of things not yet seen. Hebrews uh, 11, the beginning of that passage, gives us a definition of faith. Do you live with this kind of faith? Do your actions, do the, way that, the ways that you spend your time and energy, do they reflect that you're taking God's word seriously and you are living in line with that? The second thing that Noah did during his time was that he preached righteousness. You know, in the scriptures, Christians are described as having an effect on the people around us. To those that believe, it's like an aroma of life. But to those that do not, to those that reject it, it's like the stench of death. It's like a smell of condemnation. Does your life, the things you say, the way that you live, does it have an effect on the people around you? In 2 Peter chapter 2, we had read this earlier, Uh, It says that God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. What does that word mean? That's a technical term, a herald of righteousness. A herald is someone that preaches, someone that proclaims something, someone that has a message to deliver to other people, like a town crier. This is you in your place of employment, in your neighborhood, saying, I believe God's word. The way I make sense of the things that are happening in this world is, How I view it, it's through God's word. I believe that it's true. And then letting people respond to that. Noah did this. And you can just picture these conversations, like we said earlier. You know, how did did people respond? Uh, Well, no one did, favorably. It was just Noah and his household who took God's word seriously. A remnant that were saved. Now, there's a difference here with Noah. And this should be helpful for us. This should be instructive for us. Saying you have faith is one thing. But in God's word, those, that faith that you have as, as, a, as a trust in Christ, if it's genuine, it will come out through how you live. In the book of James, it says this. It says, you know, you say you have faith. Well, show me your faith. How do you know that you have faith? Um, let me, let me give you an example. Think. Do you know anyone? Do you know anyone who tells you that they have faith in God, but they never obey God's word? They never do something that they don't want to do just because God says so. They just do what they want and claim to believe in him. 
That's a terrible way to live. But this is how you distinguish um, the fakes, the false professors, uh, from the real. It's this faith that really displays itself. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Noah, um, it, it says this. It says that Noah, in his days, uh, the people didn't respond and they didn't repent at Noah's preaching. 1 Peter chapter 3. It says that God, in those days, waited patiently. And the same argument is given in 1 Peter 3. It says, don't think... You know, people are always saying... This is the argument in 1 Peter 3. People are always saying, where is this promise of Jesus' coming, of his judging of, of the world? And it says, don't miss this. With God, one day is like a thousand years. And he is not slow to fulfill his promises, but he's patient, like in the days of Noah, but he will make good on this promise. He will come, he will judge, it will be a parallel like it was then. So it says in 1 Peter 3, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being constructed. And it says this, that in the spirit of Christ, Noah preached while making the ark. And what was the outcome? Nobody took his word to heart by repenting. The results belong to God. Here's the message. Here's the the question for you to ask. Do you strive after godliness now in this world to obey God? And as you do, if you do, do you do so only to be treated with contempt as Noah was? Have you received opposition Paul tells Timothy and the whole church through him, if anyone desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. Take heart if you do. Take heart that this is your experience, whether in your family, in your neighborhood, in the place where you work, because this is exactly how God leads his Noahs in this time. Now, the next thing that we see is that after God promised this flood that it would come and Noah was faithful preparing and after all the people were hearing this and rejecting it, the flood came. And what we see of this flood coming is that it was sudden. Chapter 7 and verse 11, it says that the fountains of the great deep burst forth. It was sudden. It took people by surprise. It didn't matter if you went to... um, Costco or BJ's and bought a lot of toilet paper on that day. You couldn't, I'm serious, you couldn't run to your basement, to your attic. I tell you, there's, a, there's an image burned in my head when um, after Hurricane Katrina swept through and the levee broke uh, in that one neighborhood of the Ninth Ward and there was a house that was completely moved a whole block off its foundation. And the people that were in these houses were taken by complete surprise. And some of these people climbed into their attics that were only crawl spaces, and they didn't make it. That was a local flood. In the days of Noah, the flood came suddenly. You get this picture of these these tectonic plates of of the Earth's Earth's crust just, just squeezing together and water rushing out and water pouring down from the sky all at the same time. And there was nowhere to go. God says His wrath will come suddenly, like a thief in the night. 
And in our time, people will not see it coming. It will be sudden. And that's the way it was at that time. It was also complete. Look at what it says. God God determined for it to be this way. Everything that was on the earth that breathed the breath of life would die. Humans, animals, beasts, everything would die. God was wiping it out completely. And it would be final. And it was. In verse 21 of chapter 7, and all flesh died. It worked. When God determines to pour out His wrath and judgment, He executes it perfectly, completely, finally. So it will be. As this day came upon the people of those, uh, of those days, God promises that another day of His judgment will come. And it will happen perhaps in our day. Um, we don't know how long the Lord will tarry. We know that He is patient. And we know by His Word that it will come. And here's what happened. When the flood came in the days of Noah, and looking at the parallel in our time, all flesh that was outside the ark was doomed. It was condemned, and it died. And what we should see in this is that God's power is over all His creation. And He sees, and He knows, and He's intimately aware. You can't do something that is hidden that is outside of His sight, and He will bring everything to light, and He will judge every wicked thing. And everything that was outside the ark was judged. So we are to take this as a warning. This is a warning for our time, that God's wrath will come again. As we looked at last week in Matthew 24, they were talking about the day when Jesus would return. And Jesus made this statement. I want to emphasize another aspect of it. He said, no one knows that day except the Father, Because he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Remember, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Jesus says, it's going to be the same. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. And everyone outside, it says, they were unaware. Until the flood came and swept them away. Unaware of what? Unaware of the coming wrath. And yet it was coming. It was plainly explained. It was proclaimed. And Jesus says this, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What is our message now? What is the message to anyone? If you are outside of God's favor, if you are living along with the pattern of this world in sin, you are not safe. You must repent You must turn to God, confess your sins, and return to Him. In that time, until Noah entered the ark, there was time to repent and be saved. In our day, as it is even this moment, God is patient so that people will repent, leave sin, turn to God, and find life. The command for us is, is so clear now. It's, it's the call of the Gospel. Here's the other half. In Noah's time, those who entered the ark were safe. 
Those who entered, it worked for them. See in verse 23 of 7, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Only those that were inside the ark were safe. And here's the parallel. God commanded it, Noah obeyed, and he and his household were safe. They were saved. All were safe. And it says in verse 16, and the Lord shut them in. This is, this is a picture, okay? This is something that we shouldn't pass over. The Lord, Yahweh Himself, shut the door of that ark. And when He shut the door, there's this picture of finality. And when the suddenness of God's wrath came upon this world, it was over. Now what's the, what's the message for our day? The time to repent and turn to Christ is now. Hebrews 9.27 says this, that either, either you will die and you will face judgment or Christ will return and you will face judgment. But you will face judgment. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto a man to die once and after that to face judgment. How can you be safe? You can be safe in Christ. You can be safe in Him. You can be safe this day. They entered a physical ark. What you do is you enter into God's family by being joined to Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling out to all who will repent now. And he says this, come to me. That's what Jesus says. The message is still the same. He says to all, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. He says this in John 6. He says, um, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He says, um, this is the will of him who sent me, speaking of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up at the last day. You see, when you come to him in faith, he holds you. In fact, he draws you. He's the reason you come to him in faith. And then he holds you and he keeps you. Once in Christ, in Christ forever, Nothing from his love can sever. He will hold you and keep you. The message is this. Run from the wrath that is to come. There is one place where you will be safe. It's not in a basement. It's not on high ground. It is in Christ. Take refuge in him. If you are a person who, who is in Christ, if you're a person, I know that most of you are, who know him, who live for him, I want you to hear this encouragement. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is before God saved you. Before God intervened in your life, opened your eyes to see, to, to call on Christ by faith. You were like everyone else in the world. You were rejecting the message of God's Noah's. But He changed you. He says, at that time you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice that this is a passive thing. You didn't bring yourself near. You have been brought near. God did this in your life. He brought you to Himself. He will keep you. God did it. Are you a Christian? 
It's because God brought you near. His Word went out. It opened your eyes. It, it brought life into your soul. And He brought you into His kingdom. And finally we see this. In this passage, a parallel for us. God remembered Noah. If you are a, of a, a, if you're a good student of the Bible and you like to study the Structure and you like to dig into the Scriptures in such a way where you look at how it's put together... There's a structure in here that's sort of a a ramping up and then a ramping down in this whole section. In the middle of it, for you serious Bible scholars, it's called a chiastic structure. In the very middle of this whole thing, where God is is, um, undoing this and He's pouring out the waters and then it's all unpouring and He's recreating things, the very center of this whole thing, which shows us the emphasis, is this. God remembered Noah. And that is an encouraging thing. God remembered this man. God remembered that He said, I'll make My covenant with you. That's back in chapter 6, verse 16. But I will establish My covenant with you, God said. And here He remembers Him. Chapter 8 begins with this language describing God's original work of creation. He separates the water from the land. He puts animals. He puts people. He blesses Noah. He says, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same language that you see in the first couple chapters of Genesis. What is God doing? God is establishing a new type of creation. And He will do it again. The difference is this. There's a future for God's Noah's now that is different than it was then. The future then was a group of people that were still sinners. Noah and his family would get out of that ark, and even though God had washed clean the sin from the world, they brought it with them into this world. Here's the difference for God's Noah's now. Our hope is this, that when God does this again, and when He brings His Noah's through His wrath again, we will be changed. We will no longer have sin dwelling in us. The hope of the Gospel is this, that Christ and what He did by His blood is this, He freed us from the penalty of sin. He is in the process of freeing us from the power of sin. And on that day, you, Christian, will be free from the very presence of sin. You will be completely different in a new creation of His making without sin, with an eternal covenant. Look at the way that this ends. Noah ends by worshiping God. I want to I skip ahead to how this restart looks, and then I want to skip back to this long section about the dove. In the new creation, God will gather people from every tribe and every language and every nation. And what will we do on that day when we stand clothed in His righteousness? We will sing praises to Him, and we will say this. This is in, this is in Revelation chapter 7. We will sing and praise God. We will worship. We will cry out with a loud voice, salvation, the power to save, the work of saving us. We will say, that belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, in this passage, there's something that's parallel. And this has been allegorized in many different directions. But what's going on with this dove? God put Noah in this big barge, this big boat for animals and people. And at the end, when the, when the rain stopped and, and, the time had, and the water started to recede, 
there was this dove. First of all, there's this raven. And he sort of goes back and forth. He flutters, flutters around. But then Noah sends a dove. And what are we to make of this dove? Well, people have made different things of this. And I'll talk to you afterwards about some of the different ways people have made sense of this. I think I can say safely this. The dove was sent as a scout to see if yet this new creation was ready. Could we live in this world yet again? And the dove kept coming back. And so the answer was no, not yet. And then the dove went and it brought back a leaf from an olive tree, from an olive branch. And this in scripture is always a sign of peace. So what are we to make of this? The dove being sent by Noah, I think we can see it as this, as a scout to see if the wrath has been abated. And then this dove, she becomes a messenger of peace. And here is how I want to apply this. We are to remain in Christ till the wrath is abated and he brings us into his new creation. And you might think, Lord, is the world safe yet? Lord, can I go out into this creation? Can I be a part of this world? Can I find rest here? And God's message until that day after Christ judges is this. No, this world is not your home. You must remain in Christ. Do not depart. Keep resting in Him. And now you know what to expect. And the message is this. For all God's Noahs, the Lord Jesus Christ is your ark. Remain in Him. Keep resting in Him. And if you're not, I say to you with the most seriousness I can, You have to flee to take refuge in Christ now. Do not delay. He is the ark for all who will take refuge in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.